change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pod Squeeze. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot, and I do mean a lot, to talk about this week. But I would like to start with something a little lighter, a little something on the fun side, because last week I think our episode was a little heavy, especially at the end. We got into some uh, some pretty heavy rants about uh, what we thought about some stuff, and I, I, you know, I never like to leave a show like that, but I think it was important to do that last week. But this week, I think I want to start off with something a little light, and uh, it kind of melds two of our loves: professional wrestling and the CFL. So. On Saturday night, uh, I'm sure you saw it. I definitely saw it. AEW wrestler All Ego Ethan Page tweeted out a series of photos showing off what he called his Ticats-inspired gear from his coffin match with Darby Allen that took place on last Wednesday's episode of AEW Dynamite. Um, for the listeners of the show who don't know, Ethan Page is from Hamilton. Uh, he's even announced as from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada in his ring entrance. Uh, he's very proud of, of his hometown, and I think it's pretty cool that he chose to wear Ticats colors. And this isn't us. Like, usually it's like the CFL or the Ticats, like, they don't get these shout-outs. Like, we're going, oh, he's wearing black. He's from Hamilton. He's wearing black and yellow. Like, oh, he must be Ticat stuff. But he literally tagged them in his tweet, calling it Ticats-inspired gear. And this was during his very first main event match on a major North American wrestling show. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. What did you think when you saw it? I thought it was very cool. You know, it's... Uh... It's refreshing to see someone from, you know, Hamilton or any other Canadian city for that matter, um, you know, representing uh, their, being proud of their city, being proud of their CFL team. So for him to shout out the Ticats like that, it was very cool to me. So we also know that Ticats haven't really been shy about leaning into the pro wrestling stuff. Like we remember, obviously, when they brought Rick Flair to a playoff game a couple of years ago. And you got Ethan Page. He's on a arguably, I think even inarguably, the second biggest wrestling promotion in North America. He's he's a mainstay on, on AEW programming. Um, I think, why wouldn't they reach out to him and get him to do some like, stuff for the team, like do an intro video maybe, or, I mean, even maybe try to, you know, get him get him to a game or something like that, something along those lines. I think that would be really cool. I uh, I also hope that he has enough stroke with, with AEW to get a show here in Hamilton. I mean, could you imagine the the pop he would get announced as from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada at an event at Cops Coliseum or, you know, fingers crossed, Tim Hortons Field? Like, I think that'd be pretty cool. But I think the Ticats should, like, I don't know, I think they should consider reaching out to him, see if he could do some stuff for the team, because obviously he's a fan. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be great and maybe bring him up for uh, the Eastern Final, because we know we're going to we're gonna be hosting it. So, you know, Ric Flair, gotta love Ric Flair, he's, he's great, but... He doesn't know a damn thing about Tiger Cat football. No, so there's no connection it, it, there. That was a payday. No. And there's nothing yeah, wrong with exactly. that, but that was a payday. Mm-hmm. But if you had Ethan Page up here, I mean, maybe he's not the biggest Tiger Cat fan in the world, but uh, yeah, I'm sure he has some knowledge on it and, and would be 
happy to cheer on the team and get the crowd, you know, riled up. So uh, I think they could do some pretty interesting stuff. And dude can cut a hell of a promo. Like he's he's pretty yeah. good in the ring, but dude can he could talk. He's a great mm-hmm. talker. Yeah, they have a lot of those in uh, AEW. That's that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy the promotion is because of the the solid promos. But yeah, Ethan, he's up there as uh, one of the best. Yeah. So you know when AEW signs someone and they send out a tweet saying like so and so is hashtag all elite. I think from here on out, Mike, I think you and I, as well as the show, I think we need to declare ourselves hashtag all ego. What do you think? I I I love that idea. Yeah. The Podski Wee Wee podcast is all ego. It's all ego. You love it. I love it. I love it. Yep. I love it. Um, all right, man. Let's move on to some actual football news. The Ticats made a number of roster moves today on Monday, but the biggest one was obviously what we're going to talk about first here, and that was the retirement announcement of Mike Filer. Mike Filer spent eight seasons with the Ticats, playing in three great cup games, starting two of them. In total, he played in 112 games with the Ticats, starting 95 of them at center playing an additional nine playoff games, including, like I said, two Grey Cup starts with the team, the 2013 and the 2019 Grey Cups. Um, he had the unenviable task of taking over from a massive fan favorite in Marwan Hage. And then Filer ended up becoming a massive fan favorite in his own right. He was born in Brantford, which is really close to Hamilton. He grew up a Ticats fan. And you got to imagine getting a chance to play for his hometown team, essentially spending his whole career playing for his hometown team. He was drafted by the Stampeders, but he really only ever played for the Ticats, had to have been a dream come true. I think for myself, my only regret for his career, obviously, is that he never got a chance to help the Ticats win their uh, and, and uh, to say, their Grey Cup draft. Like That would have been, I think, the, the cherry on top of, a, of what I think was a pretty good career for Mike Filer. Um, and he's also, I think this has been documented, and I think it's well known, he's also the last Ticats player to have ever played for the team at Iverwind Stadium. So this kind of feels like, a bit of an end of an era here, Mike. So uh, what were your thoughts when you saw the retirement announcement of Mike Filer today? Well, I was a bit upset originally. Uh, I still am upset about it because Mike is, uh, you know, he's a tie cat for life. And uh, like you said, he's been with the team eight or nine years. Um, a great ambassador for the tie cats. He's done, you know, you mentioned that he followed Marwan Hage and Marwan Hage did some great things in the community. Probably He's probably still doing a lot of great things in the community. But I think Mike... Um, did a, a great job, you know, taking that mantle and, you know, uh, you know, hel- uh, helping out the community as well. I think he did a great job at that and a great football player. I think he got better as his career went on. You know, there was some heat on him early on in his career that he wasn't maybe not good enough, but uh, he proved all the, the haters r- wrong. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sad to see him go because it's like an end of an era. Like you said, the last player to ever played at the at, uh, Iverwind Stadium um, but you know, if this is his time to move on, then, then so be it. Maybe he just, he didn't have it anymore. You know, he couldn't compete with the younger guys anymore. He wanted to give it one last shot and it just, uh, didn't work out for him. But, uh, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, you know, one of my favorite players, um, in the last 10 years, uh, you know, he comes from the East coast. He didn't come from the East coast, but he played at the, uh, where was it? Uh, uh I think it was, went to Mount Allison. Mount Ellison University from 2008 to 2011. So, you know, I have ties to the East Coast, so that's a soft spot for me as well. But uh, it's sad to see him go, but uh, excited to see who's going to fill his shoes. Yeah, I should correct myself. I said the 2013 and 2019 Grey Cups, 2014 and 2019 Grey Cups uh, were the ones that he started in. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's always sad when you see a longtime player hang him up. 
Um, especially a guy, like I said earlier, just I really wish he would have been able to win a championship with the Ticats. Like there's a mm-hmm. number of players from this this past like little while where they've been good enough to compete. Like they've gotten to three Grey Cups since 2013 and were in the playoff mix from basically they, they've been a title game-ish contender since 09. So it's been over a decade and Filer's been here since 2012. And it's just it, he's a, amongst a group of guys. Like I think it would have been nice to see Dave Stalla get a ring with the Tie Cats, Andy Fantus get a ring with the Tie Cats, um, and I think Filer kind of joins that list of of guys that the only thing I think that that is missing from that resume that would have just been it would have been perfection would have been him finally getting a chance, especially being on the team that ended the drought, being yeah. a guy from Brantford, like Brantford's twenty minutes from here. You know what I mean? Like it's. You couldn't ask for for a better story than than I, I say hometown because it's not like Brantford has a football team, but like cl- cl- like close enough to being hometown guy, you know, make good. Like how many local Hamilton guys? Like I mentioned Stowell. Like we obviously know Rob Hitchcock. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a kid, Jesse Gibbon, who's from Hamilton, who literally went to high school five minutes from where I'm recording this right now, which was the same high school I went to. So, like. Those Hamilton guys, we kind of root for them a little bit harder. And, yeah, he was from Brantford, but that's close enough as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we talk about Ethan Page at the top. We, we talk about him because he's a Hamilton guy. Like, we, we kind of – we as a community, we kind of rally around the, the local guys, do we not? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's not a local guy, but uh, one of the, you know, most famous tie cats, uh, the, one of the best tie cats of all time, Earl Winfield, you know, he was just – off by a year yeah. or two of winning a Grey Cup, and you know you guys like that. You want them to win with the Tiger Cats, and uh, Earl was. I think he was a year off when he he came into the league. I maybe yeah. Not. I think he he came in the year after they won. I think he came in in eighty seven and left in ninety seven. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's ne- tough. If he would have been able to hang on an extra year, he would have at least gotten a one. And that might have been enough to push him to stay another year to win one. But mm-hmm. you never know, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Mike never won a championship with his team, but he's still, you know, to me, he's still an all-time tie cat, you know, along that offensive line. So um, it's a shame to see him go. It is. Yeah, it, it really is. But it's, you know, when guys know it's their time, they know it's their time. And uh, like you said, wish him the best in the future. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, if he hangs around the team. And I think he will. I think there's – it feels like there's probably going to be some type of ambassador role or something along those lines. The team tends to, to keep pretty good relations with ex-players, so I can imagine there will probably be some – he'll be at a game sometime this year for everyone to salute him. and You know what I mean? Like it, it feels like this is the last we've seen him on the field, but I don't think it's the last we'll see him around the squad. You know? No, I could see him like being like a Ang- Angela Mosca type of yeah. type of dude. You know, stick around for like your whole life, basically. And didn't he give up his number? He did. To, he to, gave to when they retired. When yeah. they retired Mosca's jersey, he was he was he wore the uh, the sixty eight for the team. And then yeah. uh, when they retired, he switched to fifty one. So it, it you know what it would be very fitting if he became kind of the new generation's Angela Mosca. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and maybe maybe not a Hall of Famer, but maybe one day up on the Wall of Fame at. Uh, at Tim Hortons Field. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame guy. Um, I think often. I think getting in the Hall of Fame as an offensive line is pretty tough. Quite frankly, I think you have to be yeah. like pretty damn good. But because they don't get they, there's not like stats to go off. You can't go like, oh, he scored a hundred touchdowns. No. He's in the Hall of Fame. It's it's much more nuanced when it comes to the offensive line. But he had a heck of a career. I mean, he played in three Grey Cups. And I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good play. But I mean, we mentioned Earl Winfield. Earl Winfield never played in one. 
Oh, no, he played... No, I'm sorry, he did. He played in 89. I'm, I'm mistaken. But there are guys out there that never played in a great cup. Great players that never got a chance to play. So, I mean, he did he did get that at least. So, I mean, we can say he never won a great cup, but he is a three-time East Division champion, so that's got to stand for something, right? Yeah, it's better than a kick in the pants. For it sure. is better it's, than a uh, kick in the pants. To, to, well, and, you're, and the, you know, the Ticats, before he came to the team, you know, they've had, they had a rough go there for a while. So, um, to get past, to get to the championship game was a... It was a big deal every time it happened. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to some other roster news and moves from Monday. The Ticats signed three players, released three others, and added two to their suspended list today. They signed American offensive lineman George Murray, American defensive end Jalen Bates, and Canadian defensive lineman, and I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try because they put it in the press release on how to pronounce it, Marshall Isakpunwu, which is that, – that's, that's a mouthful right there, buddy. Um, they also announced the release of American defensive backs Maurice Carnell IV and Jamon Dotson and American offensive lineman Jalen Fisher. And they added American receiver Emmanuel Butler and global defensive lineman Valentin Ganua to the suspended list. And they also signed Canadian defensive tackle Austin Fordham Miller late last week. So not uh, really any names on the list of guys leaving the team that are all that well-known, but I will say that I'm a tad surprised at Carnell's release. I actually, when I wrote a piece for three down about what the team could do at Sam linebacker and potentially in the secondary, I kind of tagged him because he'd he'd been with the team in 2019 for a bit. And I kind of liked what I saw from him whenever I had a chance to, to see him in practice or uh, in training camp that year. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was, he looked pretty good and just never got the opportunity. So he's really the only release I'm kind of surprised about, um, anything on this list of guys that stand out to you, Mike, or, or should we just move on? Yeah, nothing really pops out to me. You know, there, there probably will be releases that uh, surprise us going forward. But uh, and no offense to any of these guys, but none of these names really, uh, you know, jump off the page. No, like out of these guys, the only one out of the guys that that were released, um, the global defensive lineman. I think it's I think it's pronounced Ganua. I'm not sure though. He's French. Um, he played a bit for the team last year or last season. I think he played in like 11 games. He mostly played on special teams. But, yeah, it's guys that uh, some of these guys, I think the the two D, the DB and the offensive lineman they released were new guys. The other receiver, I think, was a new guy. And, and we have to wait and see. Like the, the, the three guys they signed are in quarantine, so we're not going to really know anything about them. Um, I did see some some highlights, though, from Austin, Austin Fordham Miller, the defensive tackle. He went to Western. Um, apparently there was some chatter about him being uh, kind of a steal for the Cats. Uh, he didn't get drafted, so he was an undrafted free agent. And a lot of uh, I saw some some tweets out there about how uh, some people thought that he could maybe be one of those guys that like builds himself up throughout the CFL. So I mean, that's got to get you a little bit excited. A potential Canadian defensive tackle sitting up behind uh, Teddy Laurent there. So that's that's kind of neat. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Kind of other than that, not much uh, really to go on here. So if you if you're cool, we can move on to some on field stuff if you don't if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know I'm about cool. you. I'm cool. All right. Awesome. Uh, I don't know about you, but every day when I get home from work, I go onto the Ticats website and watch those media availability videos that they've been putting up. Um, I think I'm just so like starved for any sort of football content that I will pretty much watch or read anything at this point. I think I'm just so still in that honeymoon phase of being giddy that the CFL is actually back and we're you know less than three weeks away from actual games. So I watch these videos almost every day, and you don't get a ton of information from them, but sometimes, you know, a little tidbit of information does kind of peek out, and I thought it would be kind of fun to give us something to talk about. Um, 
And we're going to start talking about the quarterbacks and more specifically Jeremiah Mazzoli. And in his press conference this past week, or I guess it was late last week or early last week, that should be, um, he mentioned that he wasn't wearing a brace on his surgically repaired knee, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, as we, we've seen in the past, guys come back from these major knee injuries and, you know, Zach Caleros being the most famous example of this, don't really look like the player they were, but they almost universally are always wearing a knee brace. And it seems that Mazzoli is suffering no ill effects from his knee injury from two years ago. Um, he did also say in this in this uh, interview that if he needs the brace, he will wear it, but that right now he feels pretty comfortable without it. So, I don't know. It's it's What do you kind of make of Mazzoli opting not to go without a brace? And does hearing this information make you a little more confident that his knee is back at 100%? He's rip-roaring ready to go. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, he had the long time off to let that knee heal, uh, that extra season that we didn't play. So, um, it's a bit surprising that, you know, some players wear it just for precautionary reasons. You know, if someone hits them low, maybe the knee brace saves them from injuries. So I kind of have mixed feelings on it. You know, I'm happy that he feels confident with his knee and, and everything's back to 100% and he's comfortable and everything like that. But it also makes me worry a little bit if, if he gets hit and he doesn't have that brace, you know, does he get hurt again? Like, I'm not sure, but... Uh, Overall, I think it's a good thing that uh, he's so confident in in his uh, surgically repaired knee. Yeah, it's like I said, it's kind of bizarre seeing guys come back post knee injury, especially when you get reconstructive surgery on your knee, mm-hmm. to not wear that brace. Like I, I honestly can't think of anybody off the top of my head that that has done this. Now the difference is, of course, he's had that extra year off, and maybe the one silver lining of not playing in twenty twenty is. He's had now, by the time the season starts, he'll be over two years removed from the injury actually happening. And that's a long time. You hear about guys coming back from these, you know, nine to 12 months later. It's It'll be 24, over 24 months since he got hurt. Because I believe the game was late July 2019. So maybe that has something to do with this. Like maybe he doesn't need the brace because he's been, he, he had the brace. And now he doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so perhaps the one sliver of, oh, we didn't get a season in 2020 of, that's good about that is it's allowed Mazzoli to really heal up and, and get back to 100%. Yeah, and that's that, that's the same thing around the league. I mean, with the quarter, all the quarterbacks that got injured in 2019. Even which which was basically play. all of them. Yeah, and even like Bo Levi Mitchell got her for a bit. He came back, but he's, his shoulder still wasn't right, so he's had time to heal. You know, a lot of these starting quarterbacks are going to come back, and they're going to be 100%. So you're right. If that's the, you know, that's the only thing that came good – out of not playing last year was, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of healthy players coming into the season. So, you yeah, know, the, you know, the one thing that worries me about Mazzoli is that hair, man. You is don't like, gonna, you don't like the hair. Is that going to weigh him down? Like, <laughs> That's a ton of hair, right? Eh? It's like, uh, it is a ton of hair. Um, when I, when I saw the videos, I don't like my quarterbacks wearing, you know, hair like that. And I don't like them wearing backwards hats. That means they're not leaders. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> No, when I saw the highlight, like, because they obviously they've been posting sort of like videos on social media, right? And I saw one where it was a quarterback with like this long hair throwing the ball. And I was like, when I first saw it, I was like, I didn't get a glimpse of who it was. And I was like, it's definitely not Dane Evans. I was like, does that Jamar Smith guy have really long hair? And then I played the video again and paused it right at the beginning. I was like, holy, oh, that's Mazzoli. I was like, holy yep. moly. And then did you oh, no. see Zach Calero? Same thing. Like, there was a picture yeah. of him. He's got a, a flow going too. It's like, I mean, I know, like, during, you know, COVID, it was hard to get a haircut, but, geez, these guys are really letting it grow. 
Yeah, and could you? I'm, I'm assuming you've seen Dane Evans when he was uh, in college. He oh yeah, long, the long blonde. He looks like stunning Steve lot. Austin. I know. I mean, he, now he's bald, and now he looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. <laughs> he's doing the same transition. His career is going the same path. Evans three sixteen says, "I just whipped yeah. your ass." Oh, that's a t-shirt well, idea. Wouldn't it be amazing though if they both had the long hair? Ooh. I think that would be tremendous. But I don't know if Evans can grow it back yet. But I don't know. I'm pretty sure we'll that see. bald dome is is due to uh, much like Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's due to the inability to grow a lot of hair anymore. All right. Next up, I think we have to talk about Brandon Banks, uh, Speedy B, who, as we, I think we touched on this maybe last week or a week before. Never really shy when it comes to making bold statements, and he said this past week that he is looking to break the Ticats all-purpose yards record. Uh, now, he said in this uh, interview that he said punt return yards, but it was later clarified that he meant likely meant all-purpose yards because in 2019 he actually broke the Ticats punt return yards record that was previously held by Ticats legend Garney Henley. So Banks currently sits 1,839 yards shy of the great Hall of Famer Earl Winfield's all-purpose yard record of 14,798 yards. Banks has, for those disinclined to do the math, 12,959 yards. So I did the math, Mike. If Banks is to break the record this season, he will need to average about 132 all-purpose yards per game. Now, for comparison's sake, in 2019... Banks averaged 127 all-purpose yards per game, and in 2018, he averaged 118 all-purpose yards per game. So he was one of the best received. Now, he only played, I think, 14 games in 2018 because he got hurt at the end of the season. But in 2019, he played, I think, 17 of the 18, and he was the MOP. So if he's to break the record this year, he'll have to have a better average per game than he did when he won MOP, and that is definitely because this is a shorter season. If he had 18 games to break the record this year, he would only need to average slightly more than 102 all-purpose yards per game, and I think he would do that if he played all 18 or even 17 18. I think he would do that pretty easily. Um, but because we're in a 14-game season, not an 18-game season, he's now got a best what he did in 2019, which is, I think, a tall order, if I'm being honest. But I do have a couple questions for you, Mike. One... Do you agree with me or do you disagree with me? Do you think Banks can break the record this season or we have to wait till 2022 to see it? And do you, like me, this is the second question, find it kind of refreshing that a player is actually honest in saying they want to break a record? I think we so often hear guys say they don't care or even know what the numbers are or that they're close to breaking a record or that numbers don't matter. I remember, I don't, I don't know what year it was, but I remember John Cornish being interviewed at halftime of a game after he had broken the 1,000-yard rush. I think it was the first time he rushed for 1,000 yards, maybe the second time. I can't, I can't remember what it was. But they asked John Cornish at halftime, he's like, hey, you just broke 1,000 yards. And he kind of like shrugged it off like, it's, oh, you know, why do we care? It's just a, it's a four-digit number instead of a three-digit number. Um, and I never buy that guys don't know what their numbers are. I think they do. I think they pay close attention to it. I think guys know when they're close to breaking a record. I think they do care, but they just kind of don't say it out loud. But do you find it nice to hear, like I do, that a player is not only acknowledging that they are close to breaking a record, but also state their desire to actually break the record? Well, we all know that uh, Speedy B speaks his mind uh, all the time, and that, and that's uh, commendable. Um, I like the honesty. And uh, maybe I would have a problem with it if he was just focused on his own numbers. But we know he's not. We know he wants to win a championship with the Tiger Cats. You know, that's the most important goal. Um yeah, I think it's refreshing. I, th- I think it's a good thing. You know, I don't always like what Speedy B says, um, especially on Twitter, but uh, this one I can get behind. You know, it's uh, 
he's a talented player. He's going to rack up big numbers. And, uh, you know, there's no problem in, um, you know, going for those records. I think that's a great thing. I think he wants to be one of the all-time Tiger Cats. And I think he's pretty much, you know, already there. But he could really cement his legacy with with a record like that. So um, as for if I think he's going to do it this year, I it's going to be tough. Um, you know, you said he had to best his his season from 2019, his MOP season. Um, that's going to be tough. I know he played 14 games there as well, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, and especially this year with all the weapons that we have. I know we had a lot of weapons in 2019, but you know we have we have Braylon Addison's coming back and Devere Posey and you know Sean Thomas Erlington in the backfield. The, the, the ball is going to be passed around to a lot of guys, so I don't necessarily think he's going to rack up the numbers that he wants to this year, but I think he might, he'll probably get close, and, and if he plays another year, he'll get it easily. Yeah, I think, I think, he, I think he'll get it in 2022, because I, I think he'll be back. He's only 33. I think he's still got a couple good years left in him. Um, but like I said, I, when I did the math, because I thought, okay, 1,800 yards total, like that's okay. If he gets, you know... 14-game season, let's say 1,200-ish yards receiving. That's only another – and then I broke down what he'd done in the past because they use him so much on offense they don't use him as much. And, like, you, also last year – or last season, I should say. I keep saying last year, and I got probably got to stop doing that. He had, like, two big missed field goal – like, he had over 250 yards in missed field goal returns. And, like, if you look at his stats, it was, like, the year before he had, like, 75. Or, he, you know what I mean? Like – he broke a couple big missed field goals for touchdowns. That helped bump up the average he had in 2019. So I think it's a bit of a tall task. I think it's a big ask for him to get it this year. I think he'll get close. I mean, I mean, if he has you know almost 2,000 total yards, he's winning MOP in a 14 game season. He's won MOP again. Like, mm-hmm. and 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 do you really think that Brandon Banks? Not that there's anything wrong with or you know there's crazy about thinking Brandon Banks is the best player in the CFL. I don't know. I think it's it's kind of. Maybe wishful thinking. It's wishful thinking, I think, on our, on our part, Ticats fans' part, to think that he'll go for 2,000 total yards in a 14-game season and win back-to-back MOPs. Because how often do guys win back-to-back MOPs? It doesn't happen very frequently anymore. Like the days no. of Doug Flutie winning it every year, they're, they're over. They, they really do their best to kind of – you don't see guys win back-to-back. It's really tough to win back-to-back. Yeah, in any league, it's tough to win yep. back to back, and sometimes there's, you know, oh, we gave it to him last year. Let's, you know, let's give it to someone else. Yeah, how many how many MOPs would Anthony Calvillo have actually won if, if he didn't if it wasn't like, yeah. well, you know, we gave it to him last year, or he didn't do better than last year. He was still great, but he and this guy was slight, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, no slight to Travis Lule, but if you look at those 2011 stats, Calvillo had a better year, but Lule had the better story. So a lot of it has to do with story too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and, uh, not to cut you off, but does Banks win MOP if all those quarterbacks don't get hurt in 2019? Like, if Jeremiah Mazzoli's the starter for the entire season, and Banks still has that season, but Mazzoli throws for 5,700 yards and 35 touchdowns, Mazzoli would have won MOP, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, they like to lean uh, They the lean voters. to the quarterbacks, yeah. They lean to the quarterbacks because they're the most popular, the, you know— most important uh, position on the field and all that stuff. They sell the tickets. So, yeah, I mean, if if all those quarterbacks didn't get injured, one or two of them would have had uh, really good numbers and probably would have taken that away from Brandon Banks. I can't remember the last time a receiver won MOP before him. Chad um, Owens. Was it Chad Owens? Did Chad, oh, yeah, Chad Owens yeah, did win an MOP. That was, a sh- that was a bad year, though, I think, for, like, offense in general. I remember being kind of 
taken back that Chad Owens won that award. It, but it was. And the thing is, if the Ticats had been better, because that was the year of Cortez. Their offense was amazing that year. Henry mm-hmm. Burst threw for like 43 touchdowns, had like 5,500 yards. And Chris Williams had one of the best seasons. I think he had 17 total touchdowns. And he set the record for like pump return touchdowns in a year. And he had like well over a thousand yards. Like he was in like the 12, 13, 14, 1500 yard category. But they finished six and 12 and didn't make the playoffs. And you can't give the MOP to a guy. I mean, you mm-hmm. can. I, I, like, I disagree with that. I think the, it's most outstanding player. It's not about how good your team is. I think Henry Burst or Chris Williams should have been MOP in 2012. Because the Argos were a nine and nine team and barely made the, like they they made the playoffs by beating the Ticats in the last game of the year. Otherwise, both those teams make the playoffs. And Hamilton's offense was so damn good that both Burris, I, I think, and uh, and Williams should have been given more of a due. Like obviously, only one of them could have been picked for the team. I think it ended up being Burris. Um, but both those guys, I think, were more deserving than Chad Owens. Not something against Chad Owens. Chad Owens had a good year, but I I always remember getting in these these debates with Argos fans about this that year. Like, guys, yeah, I know he has, like, 3,000 total yards, but he had, like, 1,600 yards on kickoff returns. And I keep making the argument that kickoff return yards, yeah, they're important, but, like, usually that means that your team's getting scored on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not like you want your team to score a bunch of – or have a bunch of kickoff. You, if your team had got one kickoff a game and that was either the opening kickoff or the kickoff to start the second half, you're more than happy to take that because that means you're not allowing any points. I remember that game too, that uh, Argonaut game where they won. Uh, I think they had two backup quarterbacks yep. play, and but, but, I was so but, mad. I'm like, who? Uh-huh. Do you remember yep. who the quarterbacks oh. were, though? I do, Trevor. I was going to get into it. Okay, Trevor Harris and Zach Caleros. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I think I knew Trevor Harris a little bit, and then somehow Zach got in the game too, and I was like, this third stringer is like, you know, he's killing us. Like yeah. we can't stop a third stringer. I was so upset about that game. But uh, why'd you have to mention that game? <laughs> <laughs> I was at that game. I was in oh, the crowd that game, and I remember oh, no. the Ticats scored because I think they lost it. I was. I remember the final score was forty-three to forty, and I think oh. they either lost in overtime or lost on the last play of the game. And I just remember to tie the game. I think it, to tie it at forty to forty. Burris threw an absolute dart to Williams in the back of the end zone, mm-hmm. and I remember we were because. Uh, when they were when Argos and Tigers play, I've been to almost every single game since like twenty, either twenty ten or two thousand nine. Um, and I just remember we the Tigers fans just went nuts, and then the Argos drove down the field. And I remember thinking the same thing. He was like, "Ray's not even playing, and we lose." This is how bad our defense was in twenty twelve. We lose to a couple of backup quarterbacks, and then you know, fast forward eight nine years, and you're like, "Well, it's Trevor Harris, who's won a great cup as a backup." is one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL. It's Zach Caleros, who came here, would have won MOP, would have won a great cup with the Ticats, won a great cup with Winnipeg. Okay, those are pretty good quarterbacks. But I, just like you, in the heat of the moment, I was like, you got to be – our defense is so garbage that we can't stop these guys that don't never see the field. This is pathetic. But It was pathetic. Hindsight being 2020, we now know what those guys turned into. It wasn't It wasn't as bad, I guess. But it still, still sticks in the craw, though, right? Still very frustrating. Um, but, yeah, the – that year, this is the last thing I'll say because we're trying to, we're kind of getting, we're getting uh, a, lot, a little off topic here, but no, off on a on. tangent here. But Chris Williams of that year, I, I don't think I've ever seen a player so explosive in the CFL. Like that was like the best year I've ever, like one of the best years I've ever seen out of a player. Just 
you know, he was unstoppable, basically, yeah. on offense, returning the ball. It, it was just crazy. Yeah, anytime he touched the ball, it was he was a human highlight yep. reel. It was, you know, he was Brandon Banks before we knew who Brandon Banks was. Like, and mm-hmm. but he was Absolutely. doing it right away, both on off. Like, he had two, he was with the Ticats twice, two years, 2010, 2011, had back-to-back 1,000-yard years, was Rookie of the Year in 2010, was Special Teams Player of the Year, and could have easily been MLP if that team would have had even an, a... a just slightly below average defense because if that team could have gone nine and nine, that team would have scared the crap out of people with how they could score that year. And mm-hmm. Chris Williams was a big reason for it. But you know that was the past. We're we're into the future and into the present now. So let's uh, let's move on to the last piece of training camp news that I have for us, at least when it concerns stuff on the field. I mean, we talked about uh, the the roster moves uh, earlier, but uh, this one concerns Braylon Addison, who we found out this week has yet to take the field during camp due to something showing up in his pre-camp physical, and this was according to uh, head coach Orlando Steinhauer. Um, that sentence might scare the bejesus out of Ticat fans, but Steinhauer did alleviate some of those concerns by also saying he isn't concerned with the injury and doesn't feel like he needs to see much from Addison camp for him to be able to be a go for week one. But he did admit that he would like to see Addison at least run around a little bit before the season kicks off in uh, a little less than three weeks. So, Mike, uh, with this rash of injuries that we've seen across the league so far, are you happy the Ticats are taking a cautious approach with Addison? And secondly, are you worried that this could be a long-term thing and might have something to do with you know, him not playing football in, in two years? Well, um, you know, I, I am happy that they're being cautious with him because, you know, he knows the offense. We know how talented he is. We know he's going to perform when – you know, the game lights come on. So uh, I'm not worried about that. You know, it would be like if, if Brandon Banks sit, sat out. You know, I, I wouldn't be worried about that either. But uh, it is a little bit concerning that he has an injury, a bit of an injury, because I remember with Tasker, it was like a couple of years ago, Luke Tasker got hurt and like we didn't know what was going on and didn't know how serious it was. And, you know, we expected him to come back quickly. And it was like week after week after week, he wasn't playing. So I'm hoping it's not something like that because Braylon Addison... Obviously, the killer one half of the killer bees. I mean, he's he's an important part of this offense, and uh, I hope that it's not a long term injury. But uh, if if Steinhauer says he's not worried about it, then uh, neither am I. I don't think he would lie about something like that. You know, you know, be, coaches hold a lot of stuff close to their vest. But I think if it was a serious injury, he would uh, he would let us know. Oh, you mean he's not Mike O'Shea talking about how Andrew Harris has an appointment? That he had to get right. to that ha- that what football player sets an appointment for the middle of training camp practice and then oh he doesn't practice like we can then oh the the next yeah. day he's like oh he's going to sit out the next two weeks it's uh oh but he's yeah, not Mike hurt O'Shea no no he's not to, Michael Sheen needs to get a little you know we're moving forward in this league like we're going to talk about in a bit yep. and we you know gambling is going to be a big part of every professional league going forward and uh, the injuries need to be need to be told they need to get them out there and so that people that are gambling on the game can uh, can have an idea what's going on so michael shake you know he's pretty secretive but uh he, he can't be like that anymore yeah we're going to move on to that now because that 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 secret secret nature this this what i like to call coach obfuscation is going to come to an end because uh as we saw this week uh, a report from farhan logi of tsn said the cfl is going to be Come a little more transparent when it comes to reporting the injury status of players. Uh, Lalji said this past week that the league will introduce a more comprehensive injury report beginning in week one of the 2021 season. Uh, this report will disclose the name of the player, the injured body part, the player's status 
for that day's practice and his projected status for the week's games. And this will be updated daily. So it will be, you know, day one, day two, day three, so on and so forth. We'll get a new injury report. And you mentioned gambling. And I think the main reason behind this is the adoption of Bill C-218 last month, which legalized single-game sports betting in Canada. I think, we, as we, we know, we don't think, we know, the CFL is really hoping to tap into the single-game betting market to increase revenue and being open about whether players will play in any given game, I think is a must for betters to have any confidence mm-hmm. in placing wagers on games or prop bets. You're not going to, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that you agree with me on this, but you're not going to plunk down money. If you don't know if the star running back or quarterback is going to play, if you get this stuff like O'Shea's doing with Harris, you're not like there's a Bodog Canada has a prop bet right now for who's going to lead the league in rushing. And Andrew Harris is number one. Are you now saying, if you know, oh man, Andrew Harris is a little nicked up, you're thinking of putting your money on someone else. And like that's good for the gambling companies. And this obviously doesn't have to do with the CFL making money because they don't make any money off that. But you know what I mean? Betters need to feel confident that the information they have is accurate and up to date. And so they can feel confident plunking their money down. Because if the, the second that this starts going sideways and we start getting this crap like O'Shea does, that, that idea of $20 million or $30 million or whatever it is that could go to the CFL, that's going to disappear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think this would also help the league if it ever got its act together and launched an actual legitimate fantasy game as opposed to that, you know, weird, lame one that TSN tried it out for the last few years. I don't really care. Like, I, I, I've played it, but I don't really care for it. I want, like, what we had with, what was it, Fantasy where we played? We had, like, yeah. a legit, we draft a team, we play with that team for the year. If, if we know the injury status of players, I think you have now have the ability for someone to come up with a platform for us to play actual CFL fantasy as opposed to what we've been doing with TSN. Um, so I'd just like to ask you this, uh, Mike. Do you see the league becoming more transparent in injuries as a positive step? And do you think that this will open the door for the CFL to provide more transparency on other issues going forward? Player contract, player salaries, depth charts, stuff like that. Do you, do you, do you think that could be a thing coming to the CFL too? And it just in general, do you, do you agree that this is a good thing? Oh, I, I totally agree. It's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing for betters because you know, you're not going to put down money if Bo Levi Mitchell is injured for the Calgary Stampeders. You're not going to bet on the Stampeders. Um, and the the books need to know because they have to set the odds. Um, this has to happen. It just does. If you want to get that revenue, you have to play along with the game, right? So I know that coaches want to keep everything secret, but you know, if you want the league to prosper, then you need to play along with this game. Um, you know, the fantasy football thing, like someone needs to get their asses in gear and, uh, you know, do something like make a website. Like I know that, you know, we use the fantasy thing and, you know, I think it was just a couple of dudes that are like doing it for fun. You know, they weren't making any money off it. So they kind of gave it up, but this, uh, the TSN weekly stuff, just, it just isn't the same, you know, there's not as fun when you don't, you know, getting together with a group of friends and doing the draft is is all part of it. That's and, the best part of fantasy. I, yeah, my favorite exactly. part. I, I love watching games and, and playing games mm-hmm. every week in fantasy. But the, one of the top three things about playing fantasy sports is drafting. Getting together, like you said, with a group of guys. Whether it's online or you get together, like in one of my NFL fantasy leagues, we all get together and and you know we do it a little bit. Some of it's online because you know people live in other parts of the country and we can't all get together all the time. But when we all lived in Hamilton, we would get together one Saturday in the summer and we'd all sit there and draft, eat some good food, drink, have a good time. That's that's mm-hmm. the fun thing about fantasy. This like building your roster week to week. That's lame. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, we used to get together online and we'd have the chat room and we'd be talking about our picks and all this good stuff. And um, I'm glad that they're doing it. Uh, it's it's about time, uh, to be frank. And with the other stuff, like, you know, I don't know if there's going to be transparency on players' contracts and, and all that stuff like that because I think that's more of a CFLPA type thing that they want to keep those um, away from the public's eyes. So I don't know if there's going to be transparency on those type of things, but... Um, to me, that's that's not a huge deal. I mean, I'd like to know because you could look at, you know, fans could look at the cap and see like, oh, okay, so we're this over, we're over the cap or we're this under the cap and we can pick up a guy or whatever. It it would add another intriguing part to the CFL, you know, as a fan. I think that'd be great, but it's not super important to me. So um, I don't think they're going to be transparent about um, the other stuff, but this is a good first step. Yeah, and this is I think this is the necessity versus I think the other stuff would be nice, but I think mm. this this is a must have. What what do we what have we heard? Remember when they were merging with the XFL, when they were talking about single game sport betting, what were we hearing? The number one bet sport in North America in the world is professional football. It's football. It's it's the NCAA, it's the NFL. And what what has the NFL done? Do you think the NFL and the coaches in the NFL put out these injury reports because they want to be open and honest? No, they want to hide things too. But they know we're not the billion-dollar enterprise that we are without people playing fantasy sports and betting. And the thing that I like about this is Farhan's report was this will be an NFL-style injury report, which tells me it's going to be much more – Like I, I think we hear about it. I think it's hockey more than anything else. We hear about um, upper body and lower body injuries. And that's sort of like the coach speak for – I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll tell you like it's – it's below the waist or it's above the waist. It's like, great, we, you don't get anything from that. I think there's a concern that that's what this could be. But when I hear NFL-style injury report, and I know that the league wants to capitalize on single-game sports betting being legal in Canada, I think this is going to be very comprehensive. I think we're going to know, like, for instance, Braylon Addison's hurt right now, but it's in training camp. We don't know what it is. But come week one, we'll know he's got a toe, turf toe or he's got, you know, dislocated finger or whatever it is that he's got a problem with. We'll know exactly what it is. We'll know what he did at practice. We'll know what his projection is for the week. I think, I think this is nothing but a good thing. I, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if this will open up transparency elsewhere. Um, everything you said about what, what it would do for fan interaction, I think would be big. And I've always been a guy who said like, you know what? We don't need to know player salaries, but I think for the league to move forward into becoming, and I don't mean this derisively, but to become a 21st century professional league, I think we need to know this stuff as fans simply because I think you can engage in it more. Like imagine what we could do or imagine how much information or imagine how much talk we would have if we knew what the Argos were paying all – like everyone talked, oh, the Argos are over the cap, the Argos are over the cap. We don't know that for certain. But if we knew what these guys were, were doing, we could sit there and go, okay, they have all these all-star defensive linemen and they're paying them a combined $700,000. That's a big chunk of the cap. They can't keep them all. What's the math here that we could work out? I think you can get fans to engage more. Um, again, I, I'm with you though. I don't think that's a necessity. I think that'd be just a good thing for the league. This to me, this, so people can bet that we know what players are going to play. Even so fans know what players are going to play. So we don't get our hopes up. Like you mentioned Luke Tasker earlier. He was hurt and we didn't know how long he was going to be. I think, I think I remember he was hurt at the beginning of the year and he ended up missing like a month of the season. And it was like, Oh, it, and every time I think Ken Austin spoke, it was like, Oh, it's a little thing. He's only, he should be, he'll, he'll be back soon. He'll be back soon. And it'd take over a month for him to come back. And it's like, as a fan, I think it's nice to know going into a game because then you could you can feel more confident how your team's going to do. Or just, I think the more information we have as fans, I think the more information that the media gets, I think the better it is for the league. Yeah, I'm total. I agree with you totally on that. It's just you know, 
transparency is a good thing, especially that stuff with stuff like that. I mean, information that fans want to know. You know, this league has prided itself on you know having its players be approachable, and you know it, it's our league and all that good stuff. But uh, they haven't given out enough information, um, and hopefully, this is you know the beginning of something good. I agree. I agree. All right, moving on. We are going to continue our deep dive look at the Ticats roster uh, as training camp hums along here. And today we're going to focus on the big guys, Mike. We're going to talk about the offensive and defensive lines. Let's start with the offensive line where it looks like the Ticats have settled or may have settled, like I won't say definitively, on a starting unit. And it's one that's uh, a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, obviously, with the retirement of Mike Filer, that opens up some uh, a spot on the offensive line. And from what I have been told, Mike, even prior to Filer's retirement, the starting fives looks like it will be Chris Van Zyl at right tackle. No surprise there. Kate Okafor at right guard. Darius Sirocco at center. Brandon Revenberg at left guard. No surprise there. And Trevon Tate at left tackle. So... Based on that, you can tell Okafor is in a new position, Sirocco is in a new position, and Tate is being given the first crack at replacing Riker Matthews at left tackle. So what do you make of this potential starting five unit with all these changes and, of course, with Van Zyl and Revenberg being the two holdovers? New positions, new guys at left tackle. Oh, Mike's worried. Oh, boy. I don't know, Josh. I don't know. Um... You know, it's, it's 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 tough to evaluate. Um, you know, I'm worried about it, but uh, you know, it could all blend together and could all be good um, going forward. You know, I think if Mike Filer was, you know, Mike Filer of the past, he'd still be there. Um, he'd still be the starting center. So, I think that we're moving on for a reason, and then maybe it's just because Filer wants to retire. But I think there's something deeper there. Um, but yeah, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned. There's there's a bit of a lack of experience on this offensive line, uh, minus Van Zyl. Um, and, you know, you you miss a guy like Fire, not, Filer, not just because of his talent on the field, but because of his experience and leadership and stuff like that. And um, not I have full confidence in Van, Van Zyl will, uh, you know, take over for that. Um, maybe he was already the leader on that offensive line, but... Uh, yeah, overall, I'm a little bit worried because I feel like there's there's some some young guys there that don't have a ton of experience. Is this our annual Josh talks Mike off the ledge when it comes to the offensive yeah. line day again? Yeah, I think so. So so start talking. Okay, so Van Zyl and Revenberg, we don't have to talk about. We know what those guys are going to bring. Most outstanding offensive lineman from 2019. Revenberg, I think, was the team. Revenberg's a machine. He's top a Canadian. Athletic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. those two guys are solid. We got nothing to worry about there. Sirocco at center. Let's start there. So he has no experience playing center in the pro level, but he was a center and played center when he was at the University of Calgary. So this is not totally new to him. He has some experience, albeit at a lower level. But I think think we're going to be solid there. He he was a day one starter as a first-round Canadian draft pick on this team. That tells you something about how good the coaching staff thought of him. And that was the June Jones. He was drafted in 2018. That was June Jones who put him in. And that should tell you all you need to know about what, and now he's remained a starter throughout June Jones's tenure, throughout Orlando Steinhauer's tenure. And they felt confident enough to move him to center. So I think he's going to be pretty solid. I don't think we have anything to worry about there. Um, Okafor has been with this team since like 2017. He's been a developmental player that they've had in the pipeline for a while. 
He's played some left tackle. He's played some right tackle. I think his body size has him more suited for guard. And mm-hmm. he's playing beside Chris Van Zyl, who's going to that what a guy to learn from. You know what I mean? Like I know Van Zyl doesn't play guard, but as an offensive lineman, you have sort of a almost a, a get out of jail free card with Van Zyl being right beside you. It's like if you make a, a mistake that it could be covered up by Van Zyl, and then you got Sirocco at center, who's played right guard, who can kind of teach Okafor, bring him along. Like, hey, you know, um, this is what I did. This, you know what I mean? Like, like kind of give him the ropes. I think we're going to be okay. But the thing is, the Ticats, and we'll get to these uh, the other guys in a minute, do have a few other Canadian offensive linemen. So if it doesn't work out with Okafor, I think they have a couple of guys. They have a couple of first-round picks that we'll talk about in a second that uh, at some point are going to have to get on the football field. And so if this doesn't work out with Okafor, I think they're going to be okay. And Trevon Tate, to me, is the only kind of the only question mark I still have. But this is the big but. I keep thinking back to Riker Matthews. When Riker Matthews came in, now albeit he came in initially as a, as a right tackle, moved to left tackle after who he was, we didn't know who Riker Matthews was. We, he, he could have been anybody. And he got into the game and he balled out. So who's to say they haven't found that again in Trevon Tate? I will freely admit, though, that's the one area that I'm, I more have a question mark with than the other changes. I think the other changes with the Canadian guys, I think we're going to be okay. Tate, I'm a little bit nervous of, but like I said, I keep thinking back to, well, we didn't know who who the, the guy who played before him. We didn't really know who he was until he got on the field. Maybe we'll strike gold twice. So did I do anything to alleviate your fears, or are you still going to have have a freak out? Is it Mikey no likey until we see him on the field? <laughs> and I think that also that has something to do with it too. We're not going to see these guys play until the regular season. If there was a, if there was a preseason game, two preseason games, that we could see these guys in, I think that would alleviate some fears too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's you, – you talked me off the ledge a little bit there. I think that, you know, there's some solid guys in the interior. I was, you know, JC Abbott on Twitter there said, you know, not you shouldn't worry about the interior. So we know how connected he is with uh, with the players, you know, coming he's, from college. When it, com- when it comes to Canadian talent, he's, yeah. he's at the top. He he's one of the top – Two or three guys that I would trust when it comes to evaluating Canadian talent. Absolutely. So if he says we're going to be okay, Mike, we're going to be okay. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So I'm not really worried about the interior. Tate's a, little, a bit of a question mark. You know, he has a lot of experience in college. You know, he played 53 games with 49 starts at offensive tackle over four seasons at the University of Memphis. Um, and he's versatile too. I mean, after spending his freshman year at right tackle, he transitions to left tackle in his sophomore year and was named an All-AAC first team as a junior and the All-ACC second team as a senior. So the guy um, has played a lot of games at a high level in the NCAA. So, you know, that that, uh, that helps out my confidence a little bit in him, too. Not that that, you know, necessarily means success in the CFL, but he has, you know, you notice that a lot of these offensive tackles are pretty versatile. They played multiple positions, and Tate is one of those guys. So I, I'm pulling for him. I hope that he's the left tackle, and I hope that he does great things. He's 6'4", 295. He's a big dude. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be penciled in as a starter at, at the start of the season. And remember, Riker Matthews was a right tackle for most of his time at BYU, and then did exceedingly well there, but then we brought in Van Zyl. So when Matthews came back, they were like, hey, you're going to try out left tackle, and he succeeded there too. So I'm, yeah. uh, I am I feel – I can hear it in your voice. I feel you feel a little bit better after after our little five-minute discussion there. 
And Kay Okafor, uh, like you mentioned, he's been with the team for a number of years now. Uh, he dressed in all 18 regular season games in 2019, played in both Tiger Cats playoff games, including the 107th Grey Cup versus Winnipeg. Um, and an interesting thing about him is I, I didn't know this. He was he was born in Nigeria, Nigeria and immigrated to Prince Edward Island to pursue post-secondary education, attended Holland College in Charlottetown. So um, that's pretty cool. I mean, I spent some years in Prince Edward Island. I did not know that uh, he immigrated there. So that, that's an interesting tidbit. New favorite player? Yeah, it might be. It might be. I mean, I like the name already. I like K. Okafor. There's plenty of solid names on, uh, you know, whether they're backups or starters. There's a lot of really good names on this offensive line. So, uh, K. Okafor, he's earned, you know, he's earned his spot. He's been with this team for a while, and hopefully he can uh, transition into a starter smoothly. Yeah, it, it's you, you develop these guys in the hopes that they will one day become starters. He's getting the opportunity now. But let's not forget that this team also has a fair amount of, of pretty good young Canadian offensive line talent uh, on the roster. Uh, and we, as we know, Canadian offensive linemen are worth their weight in gold in the CFL. And the Ticats have done, a, I think, a pretty decent job replenishing that area through the draft in recent years. They spent first-round picks in 2019 and 2020 on Canadian offensive linemen, selecting uh, Jesse Gibbon out of Waterloo with the second overall pick. And Coulter Woodmansey, I, I imagine that's another guy on one of your all-name teams, uh, mm-hmm. out of Guelph with the fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft. And they also spent a fifth-round pick on uh, Joseph Benz out of McMaster in the 2020 draft. So they've, they've done a lot to sort of give themselves the options of – they basically have, in my opinion, four guys, including Okafor, who could play that guard position. So they've given themselves some options there, which I think is good. But I want to know what you think. What uh, what do you make of sort of the team's depth with the with the young offensive linemen here, the Canadian guys? And is there one guy out of this group that kind of stands out to you as someone that you want to kind of keep an eye on this year and maybe into the future? Well, there's Joseph Ben's character. It's uh, He's another guy that has versatility playing on both sides of the ball, defensive tackle yep. and offensive tackle. So um, he's a guy to keep your eye on. He's from Peterborough, Ontario. Like you said, he went to McMaster, so there's a connection there with Hamilton, uh, just a, on a pure name basis. Uh, he's not Canadian. He's from, uh, he went, he went to the college Alabama at Birmingham, justice powers. What a friggin' tremendous name. <laughs> you know, you couldn't ask for more than that, but, uh, you know, I don't know much about him, but, uh, um, you know, he, he, if he was on the team, I'd be pretty happy just with that name. If he performed well, and uh, obviously Coulter Wood Woodmansey, Woodmansey, um, you know he was a high draft pick. He uh, 28 starts at guard over four seasons for the University of Guelph. He's a big boy, 6'5", 325 pounds. Um, this is a guy you gotta keep an eye on, I think, because he's gonna be a future starter in this league for the Ticats, hopefully. Yeah, I I knew you were gonna go with Woodmansey out of the, out of these three just because of the name mm-hmm. and the size. Yeah. Um, for me though, it's uh, it's Jesse Gibbon, and it is kind of for reasons I'll be honest with you, almost entirely not about being on the field. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show that there was a player who was on the team from Hamilton that went to the same high school as me, and that was Gibbon. He's a Hamilton boy. Uh, which always makes him a favorite of my book. And uh, he went to the same high school that I did here in Hamilton, Sherwood Secondary School. Um, Obviously, we didn't go there at the same time. I mean, uh, when he was born, I was two days away from my 15th birthday. So obviously, you know, there's a a pretty big age gap between he and I. But uh, 
I can't think off the top of my head of any other CFL players that have come from the same high school as me. So seeing a kid from the basically the same area, I imagine he grew up not far from where I'm sitting currently. I'm as I said, I'm I'm about five minutes away from the place I went to high school. I've I've lived in the same area for the past ten ten some odd years. Uh, I seeing someone from from the same area. I I, I really want to see a guy like him succeed. And he was a second overall draft pick for a reason. So. I think he's a guy that, uh, if I was to guess, and this is strictly a guess, um, he'd be the next man up, um, given that he was with the team in 2019, didn't play a ton, but did see some time. And the other guys, Ben's, Wood, Manzi, they're, um, they're kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're new. They were both drafted in 2020, so they've never yep. even, this is their first CFL training camp. Gibbon's been there before, so I think he'll be given uh, a, a chance to succeed. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you brought up Justice Power, so I think I guess it'd be a good time to kind of talk about the uh, – the American uh, offensive linemen that the team has on, on, on the squad that are competing for some, some spots here. Uh, you mentioned Powers. There's also Scotty Dill, which I think is a pretty good name, uh, mm-hmm. John Yarborough, and uh, Jordan Murray. Murray was the guy we talked about that uh, the team signed earlier this week. Uh, he's in quarantine, hasn't seen the field in practice, so I don't really think there's a ton to talk about there right now. Um, but I think the other three are kind of interesting in some respects. Powers, as you mentioned, uh, Went to uh, UAB. Uh, he signed with the Ticats for the 2020 season, but obviously never played since the season was canceled. Uh, Dill signed with the team this past February, and you want to talk about big boys, 6'7". Not a lot of 6'7 guys you see in the CFL, so that is a mountain of a man. And uh, the thing I found interesting about Yarborough was that uh, he was he was signed a little less than a month ago, but he spent time in the XFL with the Tampa Bay Vipers, who were coached by Mark Trestman, who is a former CFL head coach. So... Maybe that uh, that Tampa Bay offense with a little CFL ish, although Trustman's offenses weren't, I, I think, traditionally CFL ish. But uh, you got Powers with the with the great name, you got uh, Dill with the massive size, and you got Yarbrough with uh, some CFL like experience. So there's, I think, there's some interesting things here. And uh, the big thing is, like as we know, given the nature of CFL rosters, it's likely that these guys are kind of battling for maybe two spots on the practice roster here. You're not going to see a lot of American offensive linemen make the game day roster that aren't starters. But um, I'll bring up a name that you might not remember. Jordan Swindle was a guy that the Ticats started at offensive tackle in 2017. Uh, it did not go well for him. He was probably on the team for two or three weeks and then was uh, given the heave-ho, and I believe they traded for Xavier Fulton from Saskatchewan. Um, so we've seen inexperienced left tackles, which is what uh, Trevon Tate is, uh, not really make it. So it's potentially that uh, Powers or Dill or Yarborough, maybe even Murray, one of those guys could end up uh, seeing some playing time this year. So... These are these are some guys to keep an eye on here, I think. But man, six yeah. seven, six seven, that's a big boy. Yeah. Yeah, Scotty Dill, what a name. And you know, the one thing about him too is he he uh played at the University of Memphis. Uh but he saw time at right tackle, left tackle, and get this tight end. Ooh, so, so he's a pretty athletic dude. Yeah, so he must be pretty athletic. Could you imagine six seven, almost three hundred pounds tight end? That's a that's a big tight end. But uh but yeah, like we're seeing a pattern here of um, offensive linemen that can play multiple positions Bingo. and even on the other side of the ball or even different positions on the offense. So um, if I had to pick one guy, you know, behind Tate that I keep my eye on, I think it's the Scotty Dill character. Yeah. I I've actually heard, I think it was Sean Burke in an interview mentioned him specifically uh, as a guy that uh, they had their eye on for a while. And when you think of what the Ticats have with the tight ends, with um, with Burt and with Kalinich, and you think of maybe this guy who once played tight end coming out there as like a sixth offensive lineman in a red zone package, 
if he's got tight end experience, that means he can catch the ball. So again, just another wrinkle for the Tommy Condell offense, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Just slip him out and uh, get a get a big guy touchdown. Yeah, everyone loves the fat guy touchdowns. All right, yeah, uh, if you're good, like, I think we can move on to the defensive line now. Mm-hmm. And who, boy, is this a loaded group or what, Mike? The Ticats brought back all four starters. Those would be Jagarrett Davis, all-star. Ted Laurent, all-star. Dylan Wynn, all-star. Julian Hauser, maybe the most underrated player in the CFL. All Future back. all-star. There, you know what? Love it. Future all-star. They brought all four starters back from the line that paced this team to the third-best sack total in the league in 2019. Jagarrett Davis had 13, followed very closely behind by the defensive tackle Dylan Wynn with 11. Julian Hauser had 6, Ted Laurent had 5. 35 of this team's 56 sacks in 2019 came from these four players alone. So, Mike, I ask you this two-pronged question. One, is there a better front four in the CFL? And two, if these guys stay healthy for at least the majority of the season— can this group get the Ticats to the top of the sack board in 2021? Uh, I'm going to say they are the best. Uh, and I, I'm biased, but I, that's what I truly believe. I mean, you, those four guys, three all-stars, and then Julian Hauser, a guy that's an up-and-coming star that's going to be an all-star one day. Um, I expect, you know, huge numbers from these guys. You know, not that they're can rack up a bunch of numbers on the defensive line. But, uh, yeah, I think that there's the, the talent is there. If they stay healthy, um, they can cause a lot of damage in the backfield. They can, and, you know, maybe they don't reach the top of the sack totals. You know, maybe they're not number one. But, you know, you don't really have to. As long as the pressure is there, as long as you're disrupting the quarterback, as long as he feels uncomfortable, they're doing their job. So, um, th- those four guys, the four horsemen, whatever you want to call them, they're going to bring the heat. So I'm sure every fan of every other team thinks that they have the best. And I mean, that's just what being a fan is, right? You big up your guys. But if anyone questions whether this is the best starting off the defensive line in the CFL, I will go player for player with you. You might have, like you might, like Willie Jefferson might be better than Jacare Davis. I'll, I'll give you that, but it's pretty close. It's not, it's not a huge gap between those guys. But does Winnipeg have a Ted Laurent or a Dylan Wynn? I don't think they do. You know what I mean? Like, there's some, like, look at the Argos. Charleston Hughes, really good. Future Hall of Famer. At this point in his career, him and Jagarrett Davis are probably pretty even. Do the Argos have a Ted Laurent, a Dylan Wynn, a Julian Hauser? No, they don't. They, they, they might have some guys there. They don't have those guys. You know what I mean? Like, give me, give me your starting four, and I'll take my starting four of you every day of the week. No questions asked. This is the best starting four in the CFL. Yep. Yeah, as a collective, yeah, you're absolutely right. I wouldn't take any other four. Like maybe, you know, like you said, maybe there's one player that's better than the other or whatever. But as a unit, uh, these guys are the best. Yeah. Uh, The reason I brought up health, though, in the question is that we heard this week uh, kind of in the same breath of of Braylon Addison being out is that Ted Laurent has sat out for all of training camp so far. Um, This has me a little worried. I don't know about you. I guess we'll get to you in a second. But – I kind of dug into this because I was like, okay, Laurent, I always feel like he's nicked up. He's always missing games. And uh, it's sort of true. He's played all 18 games in his career just twice, the last time being in 2013 when he was with Edmonton, and has never played a full 18 with the Ticats since signing with the team in 2014. But he has played either 16 or 17 games in every season but one. So while it feels like he always seems to be banged up, he doesn't tend to miss a lot of time. So I'm... I'm, atta- I'm always attacking Sir Ted Laurent, especially because there's not a ton, and we'll get to this in a minute, a ton of Canadian offensive line depth, or defensive line, I keep saying offensive line, I 
keep screwing that up. But there's not a lot of defensive line depth behind Teddy. Um, so if he was to miss time, it might mess with the ratio a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm slightly concerned. But having given you all that information, Mike, are you concerned? Yeah, it's always it is a little concerning, uh, you know, especially like a big guy like big Teddy Laurent. It's uh, those injuries tend to pile up. Um, and it does seem like he's out a lot, but like you just said, um, you know, he's, he's playing 18 games, he's playing 16, 17 games. The thing about Ted Leron is I think he gets better as the season goes along. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not notice him in the first couple games, uh, but as the season goes on, he gets better and better. So hopefully he's just a little bit nicked up and he can, uh, he can perform on the field, you know, relatively quickly, hopefully in that first game, because, um, you know, we want to see those four guys on the field together doing their thing. But yeah, you're right. If he if he gets injured, you know, it's uh, you're not going to replace him. Um, and there's not a lot of experience behind him. So the defensive line could take, you know, a hit up the middle there, um, running the ball from the opposite team and, you know, getting pressure up the middle. It could be uh, tough for the Ticats without him. Yeah. And like I bring up the backup Canadian defensive lineman, um, it's it's not a plentiful group. Uh, and actually, there's very little when it comes to defensive tackles even. Uh, we I touched upon the signing of Austin Ford of Miller, and he is literally the only guy on the team listed as a defensive tackle that's Canadian other than Ted Laurent. They do have yeah. uh, a pair of recent draft picks, um, Malcolm Campbell, who was the an eighth-round pick in 2019 out of the University of Toronto, my alma mater, and Mason Bennett, who was drafted eighth overall in the 2020 draft out of the University of North Dakota. Um, I talked about Austin Ford and Miller. They also signed, as we talked about, uh, Marshall. Uh, I'm going to screw this up again. Isak Poonwu. Um, and as I said, we talked about this earlier. So I think I'd really like to focus a little bit more on uh, Bennett and Campbell. Bennett feels to me, and, and you can – I curious how you feel about this kind of a replacement for Connor McGuff who uh the team drafted with the fourth overall pick I believe in 2017 and he just recently signed with the Calgary Stampeders so I mean McGuff never really developed into that starting ratio breaking defensive end that I think the team hoped for after you spend a first round pick in the top five on a player like that so I'm wondering if they you know saw Bennett cheaper probably than re-signing McGuff maybe a guy that had a little bit more upside. And I think the team's kind of hoping that he will, will surpass what McGuff did with the team. And then Campbell to me is an interesting prospect because uh, U of T doesn't really produce a lot of CFL caliber players, quite frankly, but his U sports numbers were freaking outstanding. Had 116 tackles, 24 tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks in 30 games. So he was averaging a, almost a little more than half a sack a game, which is pretty damn good for a defensive lineman, I think. And like I said, considering U of T has been pretty bad for a while, those numbers are even more impressive. So I think uh, with where the team's at, with who they have in the starting unit, um, I think these guys, I think both Bennett and Campbell will probably make the team and probably make their mark Mm -hmm. mostly on special teams. But I think Bennett in particular could be a guy to keep an eye on in the foreseeable future as someone who could come in and maybe not start at defensive end, but be a guy that they could rotate in and sort of get some, get some, get some game tape on and get, and get in the game. Cause uh, coming out of the university of North Dakota, it's not a small school. It's not a big school, but it's not a small school, but uh, it's overall pick out of uh, UND. That's a uh, pretty good pedigree. So there is some talent here. It's just, there's not a ton, especially at the defensive tackle position. So like I said, it could probably mean uh, the team has to 
figure out some ratio changes if Teddy's hurt. But uh, what do you think of some of these uh, young Canadian guys? What do you think about, especially Bennett and Campbell in particular? Well, I'm looking at Bennett right now, and you know he did some pretty good things in college as well. He played 43 games over four seasons at the University of North Dakota, posting 128 tackles, 20 quarterback sacks, three pass breakups, one forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Uh, he's from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, and was selected to the Associated Press All-American third team in 2019. So the guy can get after the quarterback. He seems to be pretty athletic. Um, played at University of North, like you said, is not a huge college, but uh, Division One program. So um, this Mason Bennett guy seems he's intriguing to me. I don't I don't know if he has the size to play in the interior, but. Uh, you know, like you said, get the rotation going, and maybe he can uh, get some pressure on the quarterbacks. Yeah, how did I know you'd pick the, not pick the guy from U of T? You just hate that, uh, that my old school, don't you? I, I do. I, I, <laughs> it's it's Toronto. Like you won the Vanier Cup in '93 or whatever it was. <laughs> That's true. On that missed field goal from the Dinos, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Do you remember? Okay, so was there a returner like called the Squirrel or something? Do you remember this for U of T? He was like his nickname was the Squirrel. The only return guy I remember from like earlier on in my life was uh, from Western, the guy that uh, ended up playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, mm. Tyrone Williams, I think his name was. He was drafted. He was drafted by the Cowboys out of Western, and he I think okay. he went, ended up winning two Super Bowls with him. That's the only really I don't know from from Maybe way just... back then. We're 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 going back in the deep recesses of my mind to remember you know CIAU because that's what it was called back then. Players from like thirty years ago. It's 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 uh my memory's not that great, Mike. Yeah, I remember. I just remember, remember that a guy UT called the squirrel? Was an exciting player, and I, I want to say his nickname was something to do with the squirrel. But oh, maybe I just had a crazy dream about that. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, let's talk about the other American talent on this op- on this defense. See, I keep saying offensive line. I can't. I can't. I don't know why. Oh, come on, Josh. Get, yeah, it get it together. Come on. It's oh. it's it, you know it's the old. It's I got CT. I don't know. I'm just kidding. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> anyway, um, there's a lot of talent here on uh, the American side with uh, some of the guys that uh, are going to have a hard time cracking this roster, quite frankly. they got a pair of returning players in Lorenzo Molden the fourth and Eddie Wilson the second. They highlight this, what I think is a really talented group of American defensive linemen that, you know, maybe they're called upon if one of these uh, all-star caliber players gets banged up. Um, Molden is entering a second season with the Cats. He played in 11 games in 2019, making one start and recorded seven defensive tackles, seven special teams tackles, and had three sacks in very limited playing time. So this is a guy that can get after the quarterback if given a chance. Uh, He was a third-round pick of the New York Jets in the 2015 NFL Draft and played in 26 NFL games over three seasons where he recorded 26 tackles, four tackles for loss, and six and a half sacks. So this is a guy that he knows how to get after the quarterback, and that is as a guy who's going to make his hay on special teams, as he did in 2019, and going to get some time on defense. This is a guy that uh, I think we can – we can really keep an eye on. I think he could be a real player, and I think his ability, ability and willingness to play special teams, I think he's going to make this roster and could be a guy that might see a little bit more action on defense. I really liked what I saw to him in 2019, and, and this resume speaks for itself. Yeah, I'm with you on this, and it's it's it's, it's his time now. I mean, he's he's approaching 30 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been sitting as a backup for a, for a long time, whether it be in the Ticats or in the NFL or, or, or whatnot. He, it's... He's in his prime. This is his time to step up and uh, show show the Ticats that he's uh, you know worthy of maybe not a starting job, but being in a rotation. 
Yeah. Uh, Wilson, he started the 2019 season with the Ticats. Uh, he played in two games, had two tackles and a sack before they released him in August. They re-signed him in December of 2019. Uh, obviously going to have a hard time with Dylan Wynn holding down the fort in front of him. Um, but... You know, the Ticats have done a really good job of scouting defensive tackles, American defensive tackles, especially over the last decade. So this feels like a guy they brought him back for a reason. So if given a shot, I think this is a guy that could make some plays for the team too. And, you know, with Dylan Wynn being maybe number one in our hearts on this show, I don't think we want to ever see him off the field. But if need be, if he has to come off, you know, just a first spell, not not due to injury. You don't want to see him get hurt. We want to see him play a full, full 14 and, and go crush it out there. But I don't know, this Wilson kid looking at that, think there could be something there yeah and there's nothing wrong with rotating guys in and out you know oh, keep them fresh right yeah i mean we know who the set four starters are like that's a guarantee well maybe not a guarantee but but we know and uh you know yeah just keep them fresh it's like you're gonna get beat up every play as a defensive tackle or a defensive end you're gonna get hit pretty much every play so if you can, you know, keep them healthy uh, when we hit the playoffs and, and they're still ready to go, I mean, that's a great thing. It's the same thing with the running backs, right? You know, the running backs are going to get beat up, so it's good to have a couple guys that can do the job, and I think that's what we have on this defensive line. Yeah, there are also some new players on the team that I think are worth discussing. Uh, Lee Autry II was signed less than a month ago, but uh, talk about big boys, 6'2", 305, that's a that's a it's a big some bitch in the middle there. Uh, he yeah. played at Mississippi State, which is a big – that's an SEC school, man. Uh, he's the brother of Tennessee tight defensive lineman Danico Autry, so there's some pedigree there. Uh, Ronheen Bingham uh, signed with the team in May of last year and then re-signed this past September. He was the 2018 Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year while at Arkansas State. Um, Malik Carney signed in January. He went to North Carolina, an ACC school, before turning pro and put up some impressive numbers with the Tar Heels, 176 tackles. 32 and a half tackles for loss, 17 sacks, five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, one touchdown in 36 games in college. Nate Harvey signed in March. He was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year in 2018 while at East Carolina, finishing his senior senior season with 63 tackles, 25 and a half tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, and two forced fumbles. And lastly, we have Stacey Keeley, who signed with the team just last week, and we touched on it on the last week's show, so we won't really get into that again. But, man, these are guys that are going to be battling for – for roster spots and two of them are former collegiate conference players of the years and some really good college pedigree here this is a really decent group of players fighting to make this roster don't you think yeah absolutely i mean they have the pedigree from college and pretty big programs i mean north carolina isn't necessarily known for its football you know it's it's a basketball school but um you know last year they were they were a really good football team. team and they yeah so um, this is, you know, they have really good pedigrees from really good top-end schools. So, I mean, to be named a uh, defensive player of the conference is is a h- very high accolade. So, um, you know, I just laugh at the people that don't think there's any talent coming into CFL camps or there's no talent on CFL teams because clearly there is. And, uh, you know, if people are impressed by college resumes, they should be impressed with the guys coming into camps. Yeah. So to me, like, and these are, these, so most of these guys won't make the roster. There's, there's yeah, potential exactly. all conference players from that were superstars in their universities that won't make this roster. So people who mm-hmm. tell you that there's no talent, the CFL can blow it out their ass. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. They, they have no idea what, you know, football is really about. They just, they're setting their ways, but that's another topic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that the, there's, you know, this amount of talent coming into camp because, 
Um, you know, not every person is going to make this team on the on the defensive line that we're talking about right now. But uh, you know, probably one or two of these guys is going to be the future um, of the defensive line for the Tie Cats. And uh, you know, there's there's some really good guys in there. Yeah, iron sharpens iron. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. And you you bring good guys in and. They help the the better guys get even better, and they they mm-hmm. themselves get better too. So raise the competition. Absolutely, was it rising tide lift all boats? It's it's yep. you can uh, to me it's the idea that you can have too much talent is that's the it's like saying you can have too much money. It's not it's not possible. Mm-mm, mm-mm. All right, no, lastly, is, so yeah, it's like offensive line, defensive line. It's uh, you know, I have my concerns about the offensive line, but the defensive line is uh, I don't think there's any concerns there. At no. All. No, not at all. But before we go, I do want to talk about uh, because the Ticats actually have global players on their roster that play the defensive line, and uh, I think this takes on a little bit more importance with the announcement that uh, that the one global player they had last year, Valentin Ganua, uh, has been added to the suspended list. So there's a chance that you know these guys get added to the suspended list usually means they're going home, which means they're probably not going to stay with the team. Um, but the Ticats have two other global players who they picked in the most recent global draft. Chris Malumba and David Izinian. Uh, Malumba and Izinian were drafted with the 11th and 26th overall picks, respectively, in the 2021 Global Draft. And Malumba's intriguing to me because he went to the University of Colorado, which, mm-hmm. yeah, he might be a global player, but talk about big schools. That's a Pac-12 school. There, you, you, you don't play at the University of Colorado without being a darn good football player. And he had 27 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, and one and a half sacks in his time with the Buffaloes. Uh, given that the CFL mandates that teams have to have at least one global player on the game day roster, I think there's a pretty good chance that one of these guys might will stick with the team, if not both. Um, because uh, Valentin Ganua, who, who is more than likely, I think, I think it's fair to read the tea leaves here, probably not going to stay with the team. He saw game action in 11 games in his rookie season, mostly on special teams, but it shows to me that Ticats aren't afraid to use global players on the roster in something more than a kicker role. So I think you could look at guys like these two uh, who could fill that mandated global roster spot. And i got to be honest with you, Malumba's the one that stands out to me. You, like I said, you do not go to the University of Colorado if you cannot play football. I don't care what country you're from. So he's the one I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah, and... The, uh... A personality trait that I like in players is, you know, how they, you know, he didn't just go to Colorado. You know, he, he wasn't on a scholarship or anything like that. He he started his career in junior college yep. and he worked his way up to a, a major college program like the University of Colorado. Um, yeah, this this this. If I would have to look at any or predict any global player that might be a starter one day, I I'd probably have to go with this guy because. Um, you know, the University of Colorado, I'm pretty sure, is known for their defense. And mm-hmm. he started on defense for that team. So, um, yeah, I think I think he has probably, you know, he's getting up there in age, too. He's almost 30 years old. So uh, the time is now for him to make the team and uh, show what he's got. Because, uh, you know, a couple more years and he, he, might, he might be out of football. So um, it's refreshing to see, like, a global player that played at such a, a prestigious college like that in, in America. Yeah, and not be a kicker or a puncher. Nothing against kicker or punchers, but it's I, I, I think the whole point of this CFL 2.0, this global thing, is you want to see every down players get an opportunity. And I, I think that this is this is a kid who, uh, who I think has a has an opportunity to maybe make some plays. Most probably mostly on special teams, if we're being honest. But hey, 
how many guys cut their teeth in this league on special mm-hmm. teams and then find a, a, a year or two where they're up, where the starters. So you cut your teeth on special teams, you do some good things there, you get a chance to play on defense or offense too. Yep, you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So next week is our final week of deep dives as we cover the linebackers, secondary, and special teams. Mike, when we started this project, it was to fill time on the show between then and the week leading up to the start of the season where we'll do our yearly uh, preview episode and talk about that week's games. And we have one set of groups left, which means we are two shows away from doing an actual CFL preview. How excited are you for that? I'm extremely excited for that. Uh, You know, to be weeks away from regular season football, um, it's a little surreal after, you know, missing a year, missing a season. Um, I don't know how I'm going to react when, uh, you know, that, that kickoff, there might be some tears shed uh, in that first game between Hamilton and Winnipeg and, I'm just uh, overjoyed we're, we're going to be able to watch some football soon. Yeah, so next week we're, we're covering the linebackers, the secondary, and the special team, so that should be fun. Uh, and then, like I said, the week after that, it's, it's full steam it's ahead. We're, we're, we're back on the weekly, on the weekly grind, and uh, I couldn't have it any other way, man. So glad the season's almost here. I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to us to be super, super wrong about our predictions like we've been every single year we've done it. But it doesn't make it any less fun, does it? No, it doesn't. It's... Uh... It's always fun to be wrong, you know. It's 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 even funner to be right, but uh, that that rarely happens. But I, I look forward to the uh, predictions episode every season. Yeah, same here. It's always one of my favorites. So uh, that was Pod Squeezy for this week. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw.